Hi, travelers. You can listen to us on your travels on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, iHeartRadio, and more. Make sure you check out our link tree in the description of this episode where you can find the links to our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter accounts. Okay, today is Thursday, May 25th. And boys, today we have Game 5, Celtics Heat, coming on in about an hour. Uh, is this going to be the year that uh, a, a team down 0-3 comes back in, uh, to win to win the series? I mean, if it would happen at all, it would happen this uh, this playoffs, right, with how weird the NBA playoffs have been this year. It totally would. It would be the – you know, with the playoffs going the way it is, it would be the playoffs where the where a team down three to nothing comes back and wins the series. But I don't think it's going to happen. I think Miami closes it out. They would be the first number eight seed to go to the finals. And what was it a while that Miami, mm-hmm. that the uh, eight seed in the East or Western conference made it to the finals. But that's the type of playoffs we're in a team down up the eight seeds up three, one and, a team might come back from all three down. So that's the type of playoffs that we are seeing this year in the NBA. Yeah, the 99 Knicks is the only time that a team has been an eight seed and made it to the finals. And, I mean, Vegas is still telling you they really like the Celtics because ESPN's BPI is giving them 46% chance. Uh, tonight they're favored by eight, which is a very large number for a team that's uh, down 3-1. But I think it's fitting. I think if there's a team that's going to come back, the Celtics team's equipped to do it because they've got Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown who can go off at any given time. Uh, Miami's hot shooting at some point you think is going to cool off. And game four, they didn't just kind of sneak out of there. They dominated that game when it looked like Miami was going to sweep the series and everything. It was a blowout the other way. The Celtics shooting finally got back into form. So if they start hitting their shots, they probably still have, at worst, the second and third best players on the floor in the series. So the idea of them coming back from 3-0 typically would be laughed at. I'm not laughing at this one. I think it's possible. Yeah. uh, Celtics finally started making some three-pointers, like you said, Zach. Uh, Really could not make many threes at all in the first – you know, four games of the series, uh, three games of the series, excuse me. Uh, Jason Tatum has not been playing well in the first three games. Uh, finally played well in game four a couple days ago. Uh, in all, in the fourth quarters of all the first three games, he made a combined zero baskets uh, in, in the fourth quarter. And, you know, Jason Tatum is obviously one of those players that you need to show up uh, in the end of games. And he's done that in the past. And when he does do that, they win games. And when he doesn't do that, they obviously do struggle as a team. So Jason Tatum needs to be better. He needs to keep playing like he played in game four. And especially, you know, he needs to keep playing like he played, um, you know, in game four going forward for the Celtics to have any chance to come away uh, with this series and uh, be the first team ever to win uh, down zero three. Um, but yeah, let's continue on though. Uh, Justin, Sixers obviously struggled against the Celtics. Um, you know, we all know that. Does this make the Sixers look even worse uh, with what the outcome that happens, that that is happening here? Or just the Celtics struggling so much against the Heat? Or are the Heat just that good of a team that even the Sixers would have had uh, this much of a problem against the Heat? I think the Sixers would have trouble with the Heat. I think this makes them worse. And, uh, you know, with Boston and their two stars, Look at the way Joel Embiid and James Harden played down the stretch against Boston. I don't think they would have played like this against Miami. I think Miami is well put together. I think they're a good team with Jimmy Butler on the floor leading it um, as well as 
uh, Max Strauss and the other players as well with um, with Bam Adebayo. I think the Sixers would have had trouble with the Heat as well, even if they got by the Celtics. Yeah, it's um, you know, we, it's it, I think the Heat would have been a pretty bad matchup for the Sixers too. I mean, Sixers have always struggled against the Heat, always, uh, both regular season and postseason. I don't think it would have been any different this uh, this year. I mean, just using history alone. It, it, I don't think the outcome would have been any better. It just wasn't Sixers' year. Doc Rivers is finally out. Hopefully you get a competent coach and competent players to back up uh, Joel Embiid that can actually play in the playoffs and show up in the playoffs to help the Sixers finally get past the second round as they haven't done in so long. Um, but Nuggets, we all know, uh, did a- a- actually complete the sweep of the Lakers a couple of days ago. So they are definitely com- uh, they're definitely going on to the finals. Uh, most likely, like we all said, though, Heat will also be going on to the finals. Zach, give us a little bit of a Heat-Nuggets uh, matchup preview. Um, do the Nuggets uh, have a chance to win their first uh, finals in uh, their history of the franchise? Very good chance. I think this would be a very tough matchup for Miami because they're not all that big, and Nikola Jokic is a problem for everybody. And if you can get Jokic and Jamal Murray playing at that kind of level, I'm not sure if there's anybody in the league that's going to beat them, and I don't think they're going to lose in the finals. If you can get that version of Jamal Murray, get that version of Jokic. We saw Bruce Brown have an impact off the bench. The Nuggets were the deeper team in that series, and they were resilient as well because they trailed in three of the games by double digits and came back to win all three of those games. So I think they would be a very difficult matchup for Miami. I think they would be a tough matchup for the Celtics. I think the Nuggets have to be looked at as the favorites to win the title, regardless of who they end up playing. I think they would actually have an easier time with Miami than they would with Boston. Yeah, you mentioned the uh, depth chart of the Nuggets. I agree with that. I actually have that as being like one of my main reasons why the Nuggets were so successful against the Lakers. I mean, you have people like Aaron Gordon, 12 and a half points per game, uh, shooting 50% from the field uh, with seven rebounds and two blocks. He's been averaging in the lake in that series against the Lakers. I mean, it was Porter who the last two games to close out the series averaged 14 and a half points with 10 rebounds a game. Uh, you know, Bruce Braun, Christian, uh, Bruce Brown, I mean, Christian Braun, Reggie Jackson. Uh, it's and it's all these people that are finally giving these star players in the uh, at the in the Nuggets some help and not having just one or two people uh, do all the work like they've been so accustomed to the last, you know how many years of the late of the nuggets that all the fans are so used to but it really was cardavius caldwell pope as well speaking of that bench and uh just role players on that team and we have a really good interview coming up with ryan harris uh after this that will kind of go into caldwell pope more but he was kind of an unsung hero in these playoffs and especially in this lake up our lakers matchup he uh he really uh helped the team gave a flow gave some great offense uh, and really played a uh, good lockdown defense as well, especially on the perimeter that a lot of people weren't giving him enough credit for. Um, but really it was uh, Murray. Uh, he definitely was the uh, factor that helped the Nuggets go further in these playoffs and especially close out the Lakers a couple of days ago. Uh, Bubba Murray is back. Uh, we'll talk about we'll talk about Murray as well um, in the interview coming up with Ryan Harris, but uh, Averaged more than 30 points a game in this series against the Lakers, shot uh, 50% from the field, 40% from three-point line, and uh, over 90% from the foul line. Uh, you know, 11th time in playoff history that's been done. Uh, only three times that's been done past the quarterfinals, and only twice has it been done. Only two, only two players have done it twice, and that being Kevin Durant 
as well. But yeah, I mean, it really is just the role players that have finally stepped up and helped Jokic uh, really with his potential and make it so that he's not doing everything on the field as they've been uh, used to uh, since Jokic has basically been there. Uh, Zach, back to you. Were the Lakers uh, that bad, though, or are the Nuggets really just that good? I know you already kind of um, touched base on it a little bit, but um, so the Nuggets, you, you, of course, think are going to win the whole finals, and so you're thinking the Nuggets are just that good, or do you think the Lakers kind of slumped back to where they were middle of the year when we didn't even think they would make the playoffs? No, it's the laziest narrative going on right now in all sports that the Lakers choked or LeBron choked. Like, no, the Nuggets were the better team and they should have won this series. They were able to do that. Let's give some credit where credit's due. The Nuggets were the best team. We talked about their depth. That was the big question everybody had about them coming into the postseason. We knew Jokic and Murray were going to step up. But could you count on Michael Porter? Could you count on Aaron Gordon? It turns out you can count on those guys. And the fact of the matter is the Lakers were a seven seed. Let's get keep it in a proper perspective. This team started the year two and ten. They had to undergo a lot of midseason trades just to get here. Getting to the Western Conference Finals should not be a stain on LeBron's legacy. If anything, it should add to it. The fact that he dropped 40, 10, and 9 with a torn tendon in his foot in game four. I think, like I said, it's the laziest narrative and it's it's the problem with modern sports media is that we tend to focus more on the teams that lost versus who won. The Nuggets were the better team. They deserve all the credit. This is about the Nuggets winning, not the Lakers losing. Yeah, definitely. And um, does this just make Memphis look that much worse as well in the other teams that they played so far in the, in the playoffs? Or I, I don't it... like that narrative too much either. Yeah, kind of same as before, right? We're kind of focusing on who lost and not who won. But they still were able to beat the Golden State uh, Golden State Warriors, which I think a lot of people thought they were one of the scariest teams in the West uh, coming into the playoffs, and they were able to handle them pretty easily and pretty pretty handily. So that's definitely a chop up for the Lakers. But no, I, I definitely agree, Zach. I, I know people focus more on the negatives than they do the positives. And like you said, the Lakers were a seven seed going into the playoffs, and back in June or not not June, but back in the middle of the season, I think they had like a. 10% chance to even make the playoffs, according to some analysis and some uh, stats people yeah. are throwing out there. So to even get to the conference finals is, uh, is, is pretty amazing. It, it really is. Uh, we'll, go to the, we'll go to the NHL now, though. Uh, speaking of Miami, as uh, they are in winning form right now, um, two teams make the finals. Of course, the, uh, we know the Panthers have made the finals as well, finishing up the hurricane a couple of days ago. Um, and then we know Miami Heat obviously will most likely be going to the NBA Finals. Um, Justin, just what has been working for the Panthers so much in the in these playoffs so far? And can you just kind of explain just overall their dominance that they've been able to have? Sergei Bobrovsky has been tremendous in that for the Panthers and their dominance at the end of the games with Matthew Kachuk scoring the game-winning goals obviously, and the Panthers, uh, they, they've really come up big in these situations. You know, they win games by, by a goal. Uh, they, they win games of the final minute of the playoffs. They, they won twice in overtime on the road at Carolina. They obviously beat Boston on the road up, up at TD Garden, ending their season, coming back from a 3-1 deficit, and they've They've really, uh, they've really shown their courage, and they've really deserved to get to the Stanley Cup Finals out of the Eastern Conference. Uh, I don't know if they, they're going to win it against Vegas. Vegas is up 3 nothing right now on the Dallas Stars. 
Looks like it's going to be the Florida Panthers and the Vegas Golden Knights in the Stanley Cup. But Florida's been a very interesting team this postseason as well. Yeah, and kind of going off the narrative uh, Zach just said too, I mean, I don't think it's so much of a collapse of, of her, the hurricane. I think it's more of just like you said, uh, uh, Justin, just the Panthers just playing amazing. I mean, uh, mm-hmm. we all know I was riding the hurricane all season long. I mean, I thought they were going to be in the Stanley Cup finals. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, was my, that was my prediction anyhow when the uh, playoffs started. Um, but it's not the hurricanes fell apart. Like I said, I just think of, uh, the Panthers are just playing amazing. Uh, Panthers knocked off the three of the four best teams in the playoffs so far, and that the Bruins, Maple Leafs, and now, of course, uh, the Hurricane. Uh, Panthers, amazing offense. I think they were the top five scoring offense in the entire regular season in the NHL. Uh, And it's also Hurricanes are just not a good Eastern Conference Finals team. I mean, this is the third straight sweep Mm -hmm. they've seen. Um, Back in 2009, they got swept uh, by the Pittsburgh in Eastern Conference Finals, they got swept in 2019 by the Bruins, and now they got swept in uh, just a couple of days ago in these Eastern Conference Finals. So I, I just think it's overall this, it wasn't the uh, hurricane season. History repeated itself, unfortunately, and they just can't show up in the Eastern Conference Finals when they need to, despite having a good, uh, as good of a regular season as they have. Um, but yeah, exactly like you said, I think just the scoring, prowess of the Panthers. I just, the Hurricane could not keep up with, which is how, how well Bob Broski was playing all, all season long and all playoffs long. And then especially just in this series alone with her, the Hurricane. Uh, but we'll go to the other series, uh, Justin. I know you just kind of alluded to it. Uh, currently, Vegas is up 3 nothing to the Dallas Stars as the time we're recording this. Uh, going to uh, beat, the, beat the Stars most likely and go to the Stanley Cup Finals. What has been successful for Vegas and how come they have had the success they've had so far? Well, I think the biggest thing in this series has been the fact that 11 straight playoff games that the Knights have won, they've scored at least three goals. Like They do a great job putting the puck in the net. They control the puck. They're avoiding penalties. They're doing all the right things that they're supposed to do. And we saw them win a couple of tight games, game one and game two, three, two, four, three. And then game three, the Stars kind of lost their poise a little bit. Jamie Benn's now suspended two games for a cross check. Uh, and the, the Knights took advantage. They got up, what, three nothing in the first period, and the game was over pretty quickly. So this has been kind of an opportunistic team. Throughout the postseason, you see what they've already done. They beat Edmonton, who a lot of people thought had a chance to perhaps win the Stanley Cup. And now what they're doing to a Stars team that have been pretty impressive coming into this series, I think it shows. I I think Vegas is the favorite going into the series against Florida, assuming Vegas closes this out. It's tight, but I think I would give a slight edge to Vegas at the moment. The Knights are playing very well. So you think both Miami teams lose in the finals then? Both, both the Heat and the Panthers? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you would be surprised, though, right? I mean, hockey's weird. We all know that hockey's weird. I mean, the team that you think is going to win or even the best team doesn't always win in hockey. And the Heat, we all know, have been turning heads and surprising everyone all season long. So it's going to be interesting to see. Uh, I would give the Panthers a better chance of the two. I think think it's a seven-game series. I think Miami and Denver, I think Jokic is just – I don't see any way Miami shuts him down. The Nuggets are just too deep, too. I, I mean, the Heat is pretty deep, too. I mean, not as 
deep as the Nuggets are, especially once you get to that sixth or seventh player. Uh, and I think that's really, like I said earlier, that's where the Nuggets are going to shine and overtake the heat. PGA Championship this past weekend, Brooks Kepka is officially back. Um, live golfers, we all know, uh, went over a couple years ago. Uh, first shorts player, as, they were, as they've been saying, to win the uh, a PGA Championship. Uh, Zach, but does this past weekend show that live golfers and not just Brooks Kepka are back? I think it does. I think not just Brooks Kepka has played well and finished second in the Masters, now obviously won the PGA Championship, but Phil Mickelson finished second at the Masters. You know, DJ finished in the top 10 at the Masters. Patrick Reed's finishing strong. Bryson DeChambeau finished fourth at the PGA Championship. Like, the, the thought was that they were just going to go over there, you know, it's going to be like a frat club. It's not really going to be any, any kind of competition. You see all the music and all the festivities and everything going on. But these guys are serious golfers. And I think the whole live PGA divide, I don't think it serves the game of golf any good. I don't think it benefits either side. I think eventually they're going to come to some sort of, I don't know if agreement's the right word, but they're going to come to peace, I think. I'd like to see a live versus PGA uh, kind of Ryder Cup-like event. But – I think the whole narrative of these guys aren't competitive. They just want to go take a bunch of money. I think that has been proven false with these guys' level of play in the, the majors. And all you have to do is just look at the top tens. And I think of the top 20, if you combine the top 10 of the Masters and the PGA, Liv has made up 11 of the top 20. It's pretty good. Yeah, no, it's, yeah. it's amazing. I don't know where that narrative ever came from, honestly, from the, that the live golfers are washed up and – they can't really play anymore. I think it's just the narrative, like you said, Zach, that they get their money and they can run in the live tour, right? Where all the PGA players have to keep competing every single week in order to stay relevant. But that obviously is not true. And I think this past PGA championship, and like you said, the uh, Masters also showed that as well, that uh, these guys are still competitors. And despite the fact that they, they got their money uh, you know, settled early on in the year, they, they still want to compete. And they, they especially still want to compete in the PGA as well. They want to show that they are still here. They want to show the, you know, the American golf fans that they are not washed up and that they can absolutely still compete in the highest tournaments in the world. Because, you know, the live, the PGA tournaments, Masters, champion, uh, the PGA Championships, uh, you know, the professional tournaments that we all know, they're definitely more prestigious and more challenging than the live tournaments. And so I think these golfers that did go to the live tour still want to show that they can compete in these tournaments and that they're still relevant to uh, the golf fans that that follow them heavily. Yeah, the whole notion of guys wanting to take their money and not compete, like Patrick Mahomes is getting $500 million. He still wants to win Super Bowls. Joe Burrow's about to get paid heavily. LeBron has made oodles of money. He still wants to compete. So the whole, these guys are getting paid, and so that's going to limit their competitive drive. Really? I, I, that's a, that was, I've never understood that at all. Yeah, I, uh, they they got there for a reason, right? They Their mindset, <laughs> right. their, their mentality, and their work ethic um, got them there eventually yeah. nothing there at first so it, that's something that doesn't that's nothing that just gets turned off uh that's something that's going to be with them as long as they're healthy enough to be competing really uh nfl announced a schedule of schedule flexing excuse me with uh the online platforms as well as the regular season as well uh with the cable networks Justin, what are your thinking? What are your thoughts on this schedule flexing? Do you think it's going to be good for the league, or do you think it's something that they have, uh, they're trying to experiment experiment with a little bit too much? I think they're trying to experiment with it too much, but I see why they're doing it. I think the Thursday they're 
going towards the streaming, as we talked about last week with the Peacock getting a playoff game, Amazon getting the Thursday night game as well. You know, I, I think Jeff Bezos wants more better games on Amazon. That's why I think they're they're doing this. But, um, you know, I see the reasoning. The Broncos got all the prime, got a lot of Thursday night games and primetime games last year, and they were a four-win team. So I could see... I could see them wanting to do experimenting with this, but I think this is not the best idea. I think Thursday night football should just instead, I think they should get rid of Thursday night football and just go with the Sunday games, Sunday night games, and the Monday night games. Maybe even put two games on Monday night instead of just Thursday night, Sunday games, and Monday night. Maybe even put two Monday night games. But I see why the owners are trying to do this here by flexing the schedule on Thursday night. So you're not you're not really for the flex scheduling, are you? I mean, it's at the end of the day, it's it's a business, right? And they only care about the, mm-hmm. the viewership and making sure they get the most viewership as possible. So I'm totally. actually fine with it. I actually love the idea of uh, flex scheduling. I'm saying let's be able to do it even before the middle of the season or you know middle of the late season. I, I I'm all for it even before then and being able to do it earlier in the season just give mm-hmm. us the best matchups that's what we want to see as fans and um if you really yes. want to watch your team there's always ways to watch your team even if they're not playing on prime time zach do you kind of feel the same way or just you can just give your general thoughts on the schedule flexing yeah i'm fine with it actually i just i want the best games we saw the amazon schedule last year put al michaels sleep and al michaels has been doing football for 40 years and he's used to having the best game or one of the best games of the week instead he's getting like commanders bears and games that nobody cares about and look thursday night football is here to stay it's cool nope they're not going to move that so what are they going to do they're going to put better games on thursday night the schedule that they got this year was pretty good but Everything obviously is flexible because games we think are going to be really good at the beginning of the year oftentimes aren't. Just look at the Broncos last year and their litany of primetime games. As long as we can avoid something like that happening again, I'm all for flexing. I'm all for moving it up. And they're given 28 days notice. It's not like they're going to be, oh, we're going to have we're going to have a game on Sunday and then a couple days before. Oh, now it's next Thursday. Like, they're going to know in advance. And I think for Thursday night, they said it's only going to happen like once or twice. They're probably not going to do it Sunday night flexing has become normalized i think monday night flexing finally is the right move because we need good sunday and monday night football games primetime football should be the best kind of football so i'm all for flexibility and i'm all for flexing these games in the primetime yeah i'm on the nfl website right now i'm gonna i'm just gonna run through what the actual criteria are right now because i think a lot of people don't really know what uh the actual what the law is set in stone between the uh, cable providers and the NFL actually are. So for uh, Sunday Night Football, Zach, like you were alluding to, uh, two games can be flexed between week five and 10, and then mm-hmm. pretty much unlimited between 11, right. uh, week 11 and 17. Monday Night Football, uh, NFL discretion again, pretty much you know unlimited, as they would say, between weeks 12 and 17. And then Thursday Night Football, uh, only twice between 13 and uh, week 17. So, yeah, I mean, again, I'm just going to reiterate, I think it's even before then, allow it, give us the best games even in week two, right? If we know, you know, mm-hmm. just if there's injuries and we already know a team is not going to be competitive against a certain team on uh, Monday night, just give us a better team and just give the fans what they want to see. But of course, 
the cable networks are always going to fight back because for obvious reasons and they need to protect them they need to protect mm -hmm. themselves and all that so but it's interesting yeah i think yeah, I'm so. sorry. I think it's a good thing to have the best teams play on primetime, but I don't think, you know, Thursday night football, I, I think if it's here to stay, you should put better games on. But I do think the flexing has its, you know, it has its positives, but it also has its negatives too. Just got to be careful. That's all. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, uh, good interview today. Uh, we have Ryan Harris uh, from Denver Sports Media coming on to give us more of a rundown in the uh, dominant performance over the Lakers uh, this past week. Uh, he's going to give us a great interview. We'll talk about his book that he has, uh, talk a little bit about his uh, time on the, on the uh, Denver Broncos, and then particularly his uh, Super Bowl 50 run that he did back uh with uh, Peyton Manning at the helm. So without further ado, we'll get to um, Ryan Harris and uh, we'll catch you on the other side. Okay, we now welcome on Ryan Harris uh, from Notre Dame, CBS and Westwood One. How you doing, Ryan? Thank you for uh, coming on today. We really appreciate your time. Doing good, doing good. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So we're going to start off with the Nuggets. Uh, obviously had an amazing series against the Lakers uh, this past week. Slept them, uh, swept them four games. Still got lost a game at home, the Nuggets. Uh, let's start there, though. These have been a really um, weird playoffs for the NBA. Probably the weirdest playoffs in NBA history, if you don't count the bubble that happened in 2020. Um, does this count to that weird season, or are the Nuggets really just that dominant of a team? The Nuggets are that dominant of a team. They've been in first place of the West since December of this last year. Nikola Jokic has been snatching stoles. He sna snatched the soul of Rudy Goldberg and Carl Anthony Towns, Kevin Durant and Anthony Davis and LeBron James. They have as many playoff losses as they do series in this year's playoffs. So it's been an unbelievable, but a not surprising rise for the Denver Nuggets because they are that good. So before the series started, I would say a lot of uh, Nuggets fans probably wanted to play uh, Celtics next round. And we know how the Celtics heats match is going on. Is that, was that accurate? Did Nuggets fans want to see the, Oh, excuse me. Did they want to see the heat or the uh, Celtics prior to uh, these conference finals? And given how the outcome is going with the heat and Celtics, uh, series is that still accurate uh today i you know one of the things that denver nuggets fans are are they're also broncos fans and avalanche fans and it doesn't matter when you're in a championship run it does not matter who you play or what those are scared fans who want to pick one or another the truth is denver nuggets are the best team, I believe, in the NBA. And it's not going to matter where or when they play a team, as evident by their 4 nothing sweep of the Los Angeles Lakers with a healthy AD and LeBron. Because I would say the Celtics still are a better team than the Heat. Uh, so I, I would imagine they might be a better matchup, or the, the Heat might be a better matchup for the Nuggets. But, you know, like you said, They'll play anyone. They're not really afraid of anyone. And they've all, they've obviously shown that uh, these playoffs so far. Um, first sweep in the history of the Nuggets uh, in the playoffs. Uh, first time making the uh, finals in Nuggets history as well. 
Um, let me ask you what, if you could pinpoint one thing, uh, besides the return of Murray from his ACL injury, obviously, if you could pinpoint one thing, what really, uh, changed this year for the Nuggets? We know, uh, last year they lost in the first round to the Golden State Nuggets and then the year before that, uh, the second round with the Phoenix Suns. Um, so what, what is one thing besides Murray and then Jokic's, uh, continued play, obviously that you can pinpoint as the difference maker for this year? Contavious Caldwell Pope. He has been fantastic. The world champion veteran has been a leader of energy and effort as well as production, not to the level that Jokic, Murray, and MPJ have done, but he he has shown up in big spots and shown guys how in those big moments and big games, all you need to do is play. The more you think, the slower you become. So he's been a huge impact. And as well as the, the, the amazing improvement by Michael Porter Jr., not just that he's been one of the best pure shooters with the pure shooting motion in the NBA, but for him to be as defensively in tune and willing as he's been, Contavious Caldwell-Pope and MPJ are a big reason why the Nuggets are having tremendous success off the production of Nicole Jokic and Jamal Murray. So it sounds like uh, Nuggets just needed more depth than last year and uh, Codwell Pope obviously brought that to them and just to help out Jokic and then obviously the, the return of Murray as well. Let's talk about Murray though, especially last series, uh, 32 and a half points per game, uh, over 50% from the field, over over 40% from the three point line and over 90% from the charity stripe. Uh, only 11 times has a player done that in playoff history. I think only three times was it past the quarterfinals and only twice was it only yeah two times was it done twice and then the other person only being uh kevin durant um would how crucial has he been in the playoffs and if murray hasn't played as well as he's played would this be a completely different story we would still be in this lakers nuggets series i mean jamal murray the blue arrow he's uh he's provided incredible shooting percentage as you went through and what I believe is you're seeing a player really find their stride. And it does take some time to become a pro in the NFL, NBA, NHL. You, you get in, you get a bunch of money. You don't, you know, you're having the most success. Nobody can tell you you're failing if, even if you're losing games. And then it becomes about a personal decision, whether or not you're going to do the work to put in the effort to be consistent in big moments. And the best thing for Jamal Murray is he's around arguably the greatest and kindest superstar in Nikola Jokic, who shows up to work every day, works as hard as possible, has fun. And when you got a guy like that on your team, it's hard to slack off. Let's talk about Jokic. Um, kind of a weird last three seasons, right? I mean, Jokic won MVP last two seasons, uh, especially last season. I think a lot of people might have thought Joel Embiid got snubbed on that voting. Uh, now, this year, obviously, we all know Joel Embiid won the MVP, and Jokic has been playing amazing in the playoffs and obviously kept up his production that he did in the regular season as well. Uh, was this year another indication that maybe we should wait to vote on the MVP until uh, the playoffs begin and, you know, deeper into the playoffs? This year, I think this year's MVP uh, for the NBA clearly showed from people's own words that they had not been watching basketball multiple different people who voted for MVP has have said out loud that they have, that they didn't watch Nikola Jokic this year. So what we're seeing is that East coast bias that everybody knows exists in the NBA. And it's something that 
really LeBron's change by going to Los Angeles, forcing the NBA to kind of take its eyes across the country. But it's uh, it's uh, to me, it's been embarrassing to hear so many people talk about how they got it wrong with Nikola Jokic and, and how they didn't watch the film. And that's so, that's something that's inexcusable if you have a vote like that for the MVP. And Nikola Jokic himself only cares about winning the NBA finals. So uh, I think those are those two things have been evident. And um, but it's been fun to watch Nikola Jokic play some amazing basketball. Yeah. Fun to watch. Obviously, we all we all know that already. Just the shots he can make and contour his body to <laughs> to do the kind of things he does is he's just he's actually my favorite player to watch just from an enjoyment standpoint. I'm not a Nuggets fan, uh, but he is my favorite player to watch just because of how fun he is. Really, just the things he can do and the way he does them. Uh, particularly, you mentioned LeBron. Uh, LeBron hints at retirement on Monday night after their loss. Um, Kind of took a lot of pressure, not pressure, but a lot of the media attention off of the Nuggets uh, with their sweep. Do Nuggets fans like this attention taken off of them? Uh, kind of how it's been the last, you know, their whole life, basically. Or are they kind of mad that they're getting all the media attention snubbed from them uh, by something LeBron did uh, once again? No team cares about media coverage in terms of when you're in a championship window, that's all that matters. You're not mad that someone, if you walk into a locker room that's trying to win a championship and say, hey, guys, they're stealing our media, you're going to get kicked out of that locker room. That doesn't matter. Now, I will say, uh, watching LeBron, it was amazing that he was able to do what he did at 38. I think he's played five years beyond everybody thought he could. If he feels that retirement's best for him, that's what's best for him. He's also consistently done things after his season's over, but others have kept going. Remember when he shaved his head and did things like that. And so that's, I think LeBron has been incredibly successful with building the narrative around his career, staying in the public eye. And it's been very profitable for him and for the NBA. So there's no doubt then Nuggets win it this year then. Uh, whoever they play, Celtic <laughs> Heat, huh? If you ask me, no doubt indeed. Yeah. Best team the Nuggets ever had in history? I mean, besides just what you would see, how far they went, but just on an eye test alone, uh, best team in the Nuggets history? The best team that was allowed to play in Nuggets history. I mean, you got to remember, this is a franchise with Mahmoud Abdul-Raouf, with Dikembe Mutombo at, at one point. So, I mean, there are things that uh, – this is the best team that was allowed to play in the NBA in the – and for the Denver Nuggets franchise, they they may – I don't know if they – I can't remember if they beat the George Carl team's record or not, but George Carl's a big fan of these Nuggets as well. Um, but this has been an incredible progression. And on the heels of Carmelo Anthony retiring, here you're entering the NBA Finals. I think that says a lot about where the Nuggets have been and how important this Nuggets team is this year. Well, Ryan, this has been really good. I know you got to get going, but I do want to talk about your book real fast, The Mindset for Mastery. Uh, you played NFL 10 years, obviously Super Bowl 50 champion with, with the uh, Denver Broncos. Uh, tell me a little bit about it. I know you've had your ups and downs throughout the league. You had some trials and tribulations that you had to get over uh, with your time in the NFL. Um, you've had, I think, what, nine surgeries as over yeah. 10 years, almost as a surgery per year, almost. Uh, so just let talk, talk about your book, just kind of uh, what the people can expect when they read it and uh, why they should pick up a copy today. Well, I just want to encourage people to go after their dreams, prepare to overcome your obstacles and have a process for failure. That's the only difference that separates success 
and failure is having that process and understanding that, you know, there will never be a perfect game, but you control whether you have a bad play or a bad game. And having your process, I use the words I am, I can, I will to help form not only how I was feeling, but what opportunities I had with the words I can and then what I was going to do with the words I will. And multiple other things that I learned throughout my NFL career that helped me become a champion because each and every one of us has the ability and the right to be great. And it's up to you to choose your mindset to make it happen. Process for failure, you said. Is that is that correct, you said? And I like that. Um, that's uh, Is that just about kind of anticipating failure and then uh, having a process for how to deal with it when you do come across it? It's how you succeed. I mean, yeah. have you ever seen a quarterback just quit the game because they threw an interception in the first quarter? No, you know, you got to finish the game. So uh, what, what I have seen and experienced is that so many people focus on media coverage, focus on being perfect, that when it doesn't happen, they completely, uh, they completely deconstruct. And you don't have to do that. Every single player has had something they've had to overcome in a game, in an offseason. And you can too, but having that, having that process for when you fail, okay, I'm going to acknowledge my role in this failure. I can find ways to improve and I will take, take action behind those ways. That's how you ultimately succeed. And we all know, because if I were to ask you and say, Hey, Jared, uh, would you, who is stronger person A who's never failed or person B who's failed and succeeded? What would you say? Of course, yeah. Uh, the person that failed and succeeded. Uh, so, but I, we I all really want to be person A, right? So that's why we got to get out of our own way sometimes. And choosing your mindset's a great way to do it. Yeah, you can see it in history too. The people that have struggled and have uh, really dealt with failure before are not, you know, not are probably they are the most successful people in this world. So, uh, for you, uh, it's a you know great book where you really explain that and kind of outline. Um, just not only just that fact, but even go deeper into that fact where it's about dealing with the failures. And I think you particularly go into how to deal with the failures. Like you said, having that process uh, that can act like that can set you up for success, um, you know, later down the line and more learning from the failures. Absolutely. It's the only way to win, brother. Well, Mindset for Mastery, I uh, gave it on Amazon. It's uh, in the bookstores as well, I'm sure uh, today. And yeah, it's a great book, and I, I, I really encourage everyone to go out and get it. Uh, well, Ryan, this has been awesome. I know you have to get going. We, we really appreciate your time. Uh, very busy man, so we, I, I really appreciate your time and sitting down with us and uh, giving us your thoughts on the Nuggets real fast and just, uh, you know, tell us about your book. Sounds good. Thank you. Go Irish. All right. Thanks, Ryan. We'll do it again sometime, okay? Peace. Right, bye. Okay, let's finish off the show with our Off the Maps and Long Hauls of the Week. Zach, who is your off the map of the week? My off the map of the week. I don't know if he's off the map anymore, but it's Michael Block from the PGA Championship. You're talking about a club pro that only gets to play this event because the PGA Championship invites club pros to play. And I guess he's played in some major championships before. But to finish tied for 15th means he gets to go play the PGA Championship next year. In fact, he got to play today as well at the Charles Schwab uh, tournament. Truly one of the best golf stories we've seen in recent memory. That up and down at 18 was unbelievable for a regular PGA Tour golfer, let alone a club pro. And then you're talking about dunking one from the 15th hole. I don't know if there's a better feeling in sports than just outright dunking a shot from 150 yards away. Don't even need to uh, 
get it on the green and then have it roll it. Nope, just went straight in. Like that is about as big of a flex as you can have in sports. So Michael Block, he may not necessarily be off the map, but you know what? He deserves to be recognized this week. Literally nothing but net. He hit. He did hit the net, but then That's I, don't, right. I don't know if he hit the pole coming down the the actual pole of the flagstick. So yeah, it was an amazing shot. Uh, he will be in Louisville uh, next year. Yep. Already, already booked his uh, ticket to Louisville for uh, Valhalla that in the twenty twenty four PGA Championships, and we're all excited to see him. An amazing story. My off the map of the week is I'm going to go to the Denver Nuggets. Uh, not them going to their first finals in team history but a lot of people don't actually know that they were the first they were the first eighth seed to knock off a one seed in the first round um th- that's uh it was only done uh four other times prior to that uh we know the heat did it this year um the warriors beat the mavs back in 2007 the grizzlies uh beat the spurs back in 2011 um but yes that i mean that's a lot of people don't really talk about that everyone's talking about their amazing playoff run and how they made the conference finals for the or excuse me they made the finals for the first time in history of the franchise we all know that they won a conference fi- i mean they are they, we all know that they go to the finals but i thought it was pretty cool that they were the, actually the first team that also beat a one seed as an eighth seed in uh in yeah. history yeah. Uh, fun fact actually the Heat were the second team to lose as an eight seed back in 1999. To the Knicks? Yeah, to the Knicks. So kind of history playing full circle a little bit and uh, just kind of shows how cyclical the NBA can be sometimes. Long haul, Zach. Who was your long haul of the week? The soon-to-be Las Vegas Athletics. I mean, just absolute incompetence by john fisher the owner of the oakland a's spitting on a proud fan base and everybody wants to think the oakland a's don't have fans because the pictures show that nobody's going to the games well nobody's going to the games because they haven't been to the postseason since 2012 so just about every franchise is going to have a loss of fans during that time and not only that they're not even trying to be competitive they're putting one of the worst products we've ever seen on a major league baseball field out there on a night-to-night basis the 1962 mets that went 40 and 162 or and 122 or whatever, 42 and 120. Worst team in the history of baseball. That's seriously going to be threatened this year by the Oakland Athletics. And now they've only thought about moving the franchise to Vegas. I, I don't love when the owners do this to fans. And the Oakland A's fans have been loyal for years and years. This is a franchise that won multiple World Series in the 70s. They won with the Bash Brothers in 89. They've been at one point, they were one of the most consistent franchises in Major League Baseball. But this is what happens when you get greedy owners that only care about making money and don't care about whether the product's any good. And that's why I've said for years that I think Major League Baseball needs some form of revenue sharing, maybe some form of salary cap, because you don't see this happen in the NFL. You don't see this happen typically in the NBA very often, unless they're tanking, trying to get the number one pick. What John Fisher has done with the A's is downright shameful. And this is a franchise that's going to end up getting moved to Vegas. And then what's he going to do? He's going to sell the team as soon as he gets there because their value is going to quadruple. Just despicable. Vegas A's kind of flows nicely, though. Um, oh, sure it does. Their Oakland has now become the Las Vegas farm system. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Good point. But no, they were, correct me if I'm wrong, they were the, it's the worst 50 game start since the 32. Uh, Red yeah, Sox? 10 and 41. Yep. Okay. Yeah. No, it's, uh, yeah, it's a mess. I mean, they haven't been good for a long time, but I think this season even makes it even more noticeable. Obviously, it's kind of a, a tipping point and uh, 
the lowest the lowest they can go, and they definitely have hit rock bottom this year. Uh, Oakland baseball fans. I'm going to go with LeBron James as my long haul of the week. Um, particularly, he's not retiring. I think a lot of people are making a big deal about him potentially retiring after this year. Uh, I, a lot of people are making a big deal about what he said in the press conference app on Monday night after being swept by the Nuggets. Uh, he didn't particularly say uh, and specifically say that he's retiring. He just said, "I have a lot of I have a lot to think about." He still looks amazing, even in these playoffs, even at four years old. Uh, 31 points in the first half in game four. I think that was the most in his career ever in the first half. Uh, he can definitely still ride the bench even and play half the minutes he's played in the last four or five years and still be a very, uh, still contribute a lot to a team. I mean, he has amazing basketball IQ, still produces at a high level, like I said, despite being in his 40s. He mentors the young, he motivates the weak. LeBron James isn't retiring. He's been saying forever that he wants to play with his son, Bronny. He can still he can still compete. He can still contribute to teams. So there's no reason that he's not going to play next year because no team is going to say no to him if he wants to join. And the Lakers would be happy to have him back. So he's not going to go anywhere. He, he's not going to go anywhere. He's sticking around. And you will see him in a Lakers uniform next year. By the way, another thing that's shameful is that how the media has covered LeBron over the years and deify Michael Jordan. Like, can we just appreciate both of these guys for what they were? Can we appreciate Michael Jordan being maybe the greatest basketball player of all time, but also appreciate that LeBron could be the greatest player of all time. They every time LeBron does something, it's not oh because he got swept that takes him out of the goat conversation. Like, come on, guys, can we not focus on the fact that he's been to the finals ten times? He's won four titles. He's been on more All NBA teams than everybody else. He has nothing to prove to anybody at this point except maybe adding on to his legacy. Getting to the Western Conference Finals does not determine or does not detract from his legacy whatsoever. I'm calling out sports media. Call call it like it is. Credit LeBron and not make everything a LeBron versus Mike conversation. And this applies to every athlete. Just appreciate them for what they are. We don't need to have all these phony debates just to fill up airtime. Yeah, I, I'm with I'm with you, Zach. I don't. I, I've always liked LeBron James. I never had a issue with him. I think he's had tremendous, uh, tremendous, um, geez, uh, stress on him and expectations. There, there's the word I'm looking for. He's had just amazing expectations put on him since day one. I mean, his high school basketball games were being televised on ESPN for God's sake. He had so much pressure, even as a teenager going to the league, and he handled it with such grace. I mean, he's had virtually no off-field issues, great family, smart guy, treats his uh, players amazingly, his teammates amazingly. I have no problem with them. And like, I, I agree with you, Zach. They got to, they got to start, they have to start, uh, stop putting so much uh, pressure and uh, media attention on him and just recognize that he is one of the greatest of all time and stop trying to compare him to Jordan all the time. And just He's the most hyped athlete of all time. And yet he surpassed those expectations. People think Wembyama hype was big. They clearly weren't around to see LeBron in 2000, 2003. That is the most hype that you will ever see for an athlete before he gets to the professional ranks, and he surpassed all of those expectations with no off-the-court issues, no embarrassing himself, no scandals. Like, give the man his flowers. Yeah, and you wonder if he, you know, if he, if he likes all of this attention. Uh, I mean, we know LeBron James can definitely be cinematical sometimes. I think he. I think he likes the attention the media gives him, but I also think at the same time, he's probably on your mindset, Zach, where he does want to give credit to where credit's due. 
it's kind of an ebb and flow uh, as somebody who does like the media talking about him and likes making a big deal about what he says and what he does. But at the same time, I think he does deserve a lot more credit than what he gets. And I think he thinks it as well. Yeah. Uh, cool. Well, great show, guys. Uh, finish up, as always, with uh, pr predictions. Uh, Justin, you got a prediction for us this week before you uh, head on out? I think the Heat close up the series in five games. Okay. Mm -hmm. Zach? I think this thing's going six. I think it could also potentially go seven. I, I think the Heat are going to win, but I think the Celtics are going to win tonight. Now, I'm a little less confident because Charles Barkley guaranteed it, and Charles isn't necessarily the world's best prognosticator, but I think this thing's going six. It, 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 I'll, I'll say this. If this thing goes seven games, Boston's winning game seven. The Heat better win tonight, or they better win game six. If it goes to game seven, after you give up a 3-0 lead, you're playing up there, no chance. Well, my prediction is more a week from now. Uh, I have that. My prediction is just assuming that the Heat do go on. Uh, this time next week, by our next show, it'll be Thursday night, NBA Finals, just be kicking off. Yeah. I actually have the Heat winning in Denver in game one, actually. That's my prediction. Uh, the game will be going on pretty much as we're recording and then uh, just about finishing up when, when the show goes live. But... Yeah, I have the Heat winning in game one of the NBA Finals in Denver next Thursday. Furthermore, though, I want to also have another prediction, kind of have a, both a collection of winners and loser predictions this week. Uh, I think the A's are going to continue to struggle. Uh, obviously, we know this, but particularly they're going to continue to be under 20% for the season. Uh, but this time next week, going into Friday, they'll be 11-47, and 47, uh, easily one of the worst starts of any MLB team in history, like you alluded to, Zach, the franchise is just a disaster. I think they finally got the possum out of the uh, of the broadcaster's box, so that's a step up in the right direction. And we'll see what happens and if they when they go to Vegas, if they continue to make some progressions or if they just continue to be a laugh continue to be a laughing stock franchise. Um, but that's uh, that's the show, and great job, uh, good show, guys. We'll see you all next week, and until then, uh, keep on traveling.